grace and peace to you bloom. Welcome to our guided liturgy podcast, a space where we pray, confess, and center on scripture together. For those of you who listened two weeks ago, you'll remember Kristen Heinz who joined us. She's on staff running our kids and family ministry, and she's back with us today for this episode. So it's good to have you here. Good to be with you all, Bloom. And we have Seth Slay, as usual, he'll be singing a song. Live, in studio. (laughs) No, it's not true. So it's good to have you all join us, and we do pray, as always, that you would experience the grace and peace, the kindness of God as you enter into prayer. Peace be with you. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Bloom, let's join with the church worldwide in praying the prayer of the day. O Lord, mercifully receive the prayers of your people who call upon you, and grant that they may know and understand what things they ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Apostle Paul says, Be imitators of God. Love as Christ loved. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Put away all anger and bitterness, all slander and malice. So let us confess our sin to God who forgives us in Christ. In a dark and disfigured world, we have not held out the light of life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, Lord, have mercy. In a hungry and despairing world, we have failed to share our bread. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. In a cold and loveless world, we have kept the love of God to ourselves. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May God forgive us by the death of her Son and strengthen us to live in the power of the Spirit all our days. Amen. Amen. Tenderly you love us And lead 
Here reading from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 1. Even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what God wanted to do, and it gave God great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he poured out upon us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sin. He has showered his kindness on us 
along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, God will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised us and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here a reading from Psalm 85. I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. But let them not return to their foolish ways. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, so our land will be filled with his glory. Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs up from the earth, and righteousness smiles down from heaven. Yes, the Lord pours down his blessings. Our land will yield its beautiful harvest. Righteousness goes as a herald before him, preparing the way for his steps. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Hear a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 6. Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus, because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist, raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles, others said, he's the prophet Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, It is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half of my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. 
Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he could not refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl, who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story is so complex, and within it is almost every emotion and motive in the human experience which we would condemn and which we would, you know, try to rid ourselves of. There's jealousy, there's fear, there's greed. And there's also this, um, this sense in Herod and the king of almost a, a wanting for inspiration and for something higher than all those things. But you could just picture this completely depraved court. There's this woman dancing, there's this vengeful mother And it results in the death of John the Baptist and his head delivered in front of the court on a platter. You know, we talk a lot about the systems of the world and government and and kind of the the way that we set up our common life together as humans that is so uninspired and and very much birthed out of our human nature, which it so many times can be marked by jealousy and fear and anger and rage. And, and this is one of those examples of, of what we build, um, not only in the systems that rule us and that, that guide our common life, but also in the places of power, like what happens in those rooms of the rulers, of the presidents, of the kings. This type of behavior is, is brought to the forefront and is celebrated And I think overall, it just paints a sad picture of what happens when humans are guided by those lesser motives, being fear and anger, resentment. And we don't submit to and allow ourselves to be drawn into, inspired by the rule of love, of inclusion, of of grace and kindness. And that's what you see displayed in the life of Jesus. So if you just kind of pull back from this court scene and you pan across the landscape and you center in onto what Jesus and his disciples were were about at that very moment, what you'll see them about is creating a different kingdom, a different system. They saw humanity differently. They called humanity to a more inspired existence. And in that kingdom, it was love and kindness and healing and, and grace and forgiveness that guided the interactions between people. The kingdom of God was so diametrically opposed to everything you see happening in this court scene. And um, it really is this drastic picture of the kingdom of God probably out in the open, engaged with people rooted in in nature, held in creation, expressing the love and the kindness and the power of Creator. And when you pan over to the court scene, you see humanity uninspired, living out the ramifications of a system that's built on greed and power and fear and control. And you see that the seat of power just displays all of that so vividly. It's just this 
kind of gross way of being. And they kill the one who prophesied the coming kingdom, that very kingdom that Jesus and his disciples were, were building and living out, the kingdom that would come against that which they found themselves immersed in that day. And they kill the prophet. I, I think there's really no other picture in scripture of the two kingdoms, the dichotomy of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light than this. And it, it really is this um, graphic display of what John talks to the church about in his epistle when he says, the light came into the darkness. The light came into our way of life, into our systems, into the way in which we guide our common life. But people loved the darkness. We loved the fear, the control, the anger, whatever it may be, more than we love the light, the kingdom of God, mercy, grace, kindness, healing, compassion. And so we chose the dark. That's what you see playing out here. But the kingdom of God, as we know, moves on and ultimately conquers every other system, every other kingdom, every other way of being. And we're called to that today. We're called to be redeemed and enlightened by the Spirit of God, to have an inspired view for our communities, for our systems, for our way of life, for other people that death and fear and anger and control are not our guiding principles, but rather love and grace and kindness and compassion and healing. And I keep saying this over and over again, but I'm trying to say there is light and there is dark and they're manifested in systems and kingdoms and ways of living together and ways of relating to the divine. And so we either are entrenched in the ways of the dark and we kill the prophets in our world and our communities that herald the coming of a more inspired divine kingdom, or we open ourselves up to the reality of Christ among us and through us. There's just these two scenes and they're so vivid. It's convicting really today in, in our time to see such a vivid picture between light dark kingdom of God kingdom of this world death and resurrection yeah as you're reflecting and painted this picture of two kingdoms clashing experiencing myself in the story as if I were Herod that's just where I went it feels so hard I feel the pull towards the control and the fear. And we see Herod in this moment being tested. His mm -hmm. loyalty is being directly tested. I think the thing that strikes me is that it says that he likes and respects John yeah. and still kills him. And that's the choice that he made because he was afraid of losing his power afraid of making a choice that he knew was right in the face of not maintaining the structure of the kingdom, not maintaining his presence and power and the fear that he knows that he can wield in that moment. Hmm. And in this story, it seems like Herodias is the main kind of hateful villain. She's coming in with this vengefulness but then we see Herod be the one to make the choice of whether or not he's going to listen to John, 
whether or not he's going to make that turn towards the kingdom or to maintain his own structures and his own systems. The thing that came to my mind in terms of like how this relates to my own life, it reminded me of a lot of the fear and the hate that came out in response to racial division in our world. In a lot of the conversations that I had, I kept hearing that intentions don't matter as much as your actions. If you're intending to be kind, if you're intending to be loving, but you're still caught up in a system, in a kingdom that is not the kingdom of God, then whether or not you like someone, whether or not you respect them, doesn't prevent them from losing their life. Mm. And that just, that struck me a lot because I think maybe I do have good intentions and I want to help people and I want to respond to the spirit in my life and to the ways that I'm being challenged, but how often do I choose fear? How often do I choose control and participating in systems that cost a great deal for our siblings in Christ who don't have the choice or the power? Yeah, very powerfully said. How many of our our leaders and our those in power live in that place of feeling almost the draw towards the light that we see in Herod, but at the end of the day, it's the system that's defined by dark that ends up winning. How different would it have been if Herod followed that leading of the spirit, mm. that draw to the beautiful that he felt from John? John would be brought as a whole man in front of the court, perhaps, and released even. We don't know, but honored and respected. And instead, we see this complete distortion of the image of God embedded in people. We see this, the head of a man detached from his body brought on a platter. It's just this like really visceral expression of what dark does to light and then we're reminded you know in in scripture that the light will overcome the dark but the question is for us i love what you're saying is where will we be in that unfolding we um, allow ourselves to be influenced and controlled by the systems that govern our world or will we be like jesus and his disciples out in the open experiencing the flow of the divine of love through our lives, it's our choice. As you're talking about intentions, you know, I was thinking about that old phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I just think it it can be easier, or at least perceived as easier, for us to just cut off the heads of our metaphorical enemies instead of dealing with what's actually going on or like dealing with the fear or the pain that is being caused by those things. It's just a lot easier to, to use your power and get them them out of your way. There's something that comes along with power that allows you to do something like that. And we just kind of see that on display here. It's just easier to run away from the things that scare us or impose upon our power. It's easier to get rid of them than it is to actually address them and do something about it. Because it is really interesting how, just how open Herod was to John. Like you could almost see Mm. in the text this kind of, opening of a curtain to his soul almost, Herod, of being like open to what John is saying. 
Yeah, I think we've seen that in the world, in the kingdom, the fight for the kingdom of God over and over again throughout human history is this tendency to silence the prophetic voices Mm -hmm. that speak those very uncomfortable truths Mm -hmm. into our communities, into the lives of elected leaders. I think you're right. It causes fear. It causes a sense of a loss of control, but that is the invitation of the spirit to faithfulness to the kingdom. And it seems in this passage, like just one small step in either direction takes you down completely different paths. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, like the path to hell is paved with good intentions. It doesn't matter as I'm taking away from this passage. It doesn't matter so much as your heart towards the spirit and the reasons and the motivations that you have for taking those steps. Is it out of fear or control or is it out of openness to the spirit? Yeah, and in, in Seth, what you're saying, in this case, the enemy was the prophet. Mm-hmm. It was the one who was speaking about the coming of something new. So enemy is actually the, the holder of the light. It should cause us to ponder the prophets that are silenced every day. When you think about the life of MLK and countless others, really, who have stood against oppression, who have stood up for the kingdom of God. And um, what we tend to do with those people is to, is to dispose of them. And I wonder if perhaps the church, to have a prophetic role in this age, is, is to be speaking to the places of power, not only to the people, as John the Baptist did, but to the places of power and call them to submit to the kingdom of God, to the light. As we think about in this season, and people talk about this, there's articles written on it every day, you know, what is the church going to be? I deeply hope that the church continues to be a prophetic voice, one that speaks to all people and to all governments and calls us to a more inspired view of our life together in Christ. When you see the church like buddy up with the systems of our world, and bless that stuff. That's where it gets really dark. So in this whole dark scene at the court, one thing that's so inspiring is the drastic mark of demarcation between the systems of the world, the government, and what we could call the church or the people of God in the prophet John the Baptist. That's kind of a, as I'm thinking about this, a picture of how it should be. This conversation is um, so enlightening to me, and I believe deeply convicting to our lives and, and to our common life, to our leaders and to our systems, that what do we do with the prophets in our, in our time? Allow our, our spirits and our minds to be drawn into the light, or we, we kill them. We dispose of, of them and their words and their call. And it's just crazy to me that the the call to us, especially in the season of Pentecost, is always the same. To gather as a people open and aware of the Spirit among us and pray, come Holy Spirit, enlighten us and fill us and draw us to that, which in the end will save us and will save our world, Christ. It's both convicting and it's compelling. It's an invitation to come again into the light 
to be filled, to be loved, to live in the reality of the kingdom. That's our prayer for you, Bloom, as you journey forward. Grace and peace. We pray to God, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, creator, and renew the earth. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, counselor, and touch our lips that we may proclaim your word. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, power from on high. Make us channels of peace and ministers of healing. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, breath of God. Give life to the dry bones around us and make us a living people, holy and free. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, wisdom and truth. Strengthen us to be bold in faith. Holy Spirit, come upon us.